is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, November 7, 2020, Shabbat Shalom. This has been a great and historic week with the election of Joe Biden. It was called Friday night, not by Fox News. I'm dreaming of that. I was so hoping Nevada would give him the six votes more so that Fox News that called Arizona early would be the ones that said, you're fired. But a different show called it my show. I had enough. When the sun went down, it came to me as a Sabbath vision. Donald, you are done. You're fired. A lot of voters agreed with me, especially in Colorado. I think I know Colorado. I'd like to think I helped increase for five-point margin to 13 points. That's how bad Donald Trump got stomped by Joe Biden here. He's too corrupt. Trump is too nasty, too racist for Colorado. We have a lot of Colorado people on our show to react. It's a friends of the show show. Laura Chapin agrees with me. It's her third time back. She's tickled pink by Donald and his demise. Although now I hear he may run in 2024. Samantha Cook is down for that. She's a mother. She has other things to do, including Twitter, including following me. I follow her, and she gives us the GOP perspective, and she doesn't think Donald's lost yet. Wait till you hear that conversation. Amy Patton may have lost a race for DA in the 18th JD. Wow, she was ahead by thousands of votes, and then some late ballots came in from Douglas County, and now looks John Kellner, the Republican, may have edged her out in a come-from-behind victory. How does Amy react to that? It's a little different than Donald Trump. You will not believe how magnanimous she is. Mario Nicholas is brilliant in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, so smart. He is a political pro. He's a fellow columnist at the Colorado Sun. And he's got a lot of great takes on what happened and why. And whether it will stick, it will. We're both lawyers. We talk about the court cases. Mario working on the legal team with the Lincoln Project. Love those guys. Former Republicans like Mario, who still is, I believe, a Republican. He used to love Rudy Giuliani. Wait till you hear our Rudy talk today. Marty Coniglio returns. This guy, this scientist, this son of the Midwest, he grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. He described it so vividly when last we spoke. He reacts to the apparent downfall of the Donald. Dave Gunders has the perfect song. My troubadour sings hard of understanding. Wait till you hear the words and the music, and it all goes together in this historic pandemic electoral time. 
Let's start with ladies first. You have to hear Amy Patton. Here she is. Enjoy. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Welcome back to the lounge, Amy Patton. Hi. You've had quite a week. Yes, I have. I have. Tell everybody about it. Last time you were on, we were talking about your candidacy for District Attorney, 18th Judicial District, Arapahoe, Douglas, Lincoln, and Albert. Tell us how Tuesday went for you. Yeah, so we had a, a, a pretty big lead when the first results came in. And we know now that those were mainly from Arapahoe County, where I still have a substantial lead. And then that lead, it kind of it got smaller and it kind of fluctuated for a while. And now uh, currently my opponent is ahead by a very small margin of a little over a thousand votes right now. So uh, we are in the still too close to call category as are many races around the country right now. And so we're just waiting for some more results. It's very important to us to be sure that everyone's vote is counted. And so the votes are still being counted as we speak. And so we will be waiting for some more results to come in over the next week. Oh, my gosh, you are experiencing a Donald Trump in reverse, if you will pardon the expression. (laughs) I I don't mean to insult you, but you were well ahead for a while there. You were ahead by thousands of votes. Then it got lower, but you were always ahead until we wake up one day and what? Now she's behind. Isn't this a conspiracy theory? Aren't there (laughs) secret ballots coming into the system? Come on, let's go to court. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we need, again, we need to make sure every vote's counted. Yeah. It was a little unusual that we had a, an update from Arapahoe County yesterday around maybe a little after four. And that had my barger was going back up. We were up by about 800 votes. And then Douglas County had an update. And that's when things flipped. Then that Douglas County update came, came in shortly after. And do you think there's hanky panky in the way the votes are reported or that's just one of those things? You know, I think it's just one of those things at this point in time. But, you know, we're watching closely to see what other votes are coming in. And but again, there still are thousands of votes to be counted between, you know, I understand Douglas County is going to be counting a thousand or so more votes and releasing those results today. There are individuals who are either stationed overseas or live overseas that, you know, are still residents of the 18th J.D., so those votes could be still be coming in. And there's a number of individuals who there was a problem with their signature identified on the ballots. And those voters have the opportunity to cure that, to just confirm that was actually their ballot, that was actually their signature. And there are thousands of votes with a curable signature issue. And so, again, we need to make sure that everybody's vote is counted before we see what the final results are going to be. Anything left in Arapahoe County? So uh, not... It's my understanding not from the in-person or mail-in ballots, but there are still cures. That There are over 5,000 ballots that are curable in Arapahoe County, is my understanding, and then probably about 1,500 in Arapahoe County for individuals who are currently overseas. I don't know if you speak Yiddish, but the expression oy vesmer comes to mind because <laughs> you waiting for good votes out of Douglas County is like Donald Trump waiting for great votes out of Philadelphia. Yeah, <laughs> no, I understand that. Yeah, my, but you know, we we pretty much flipped the split. My opponent and I, you know, I have about sixty percent of Arapahoe County votes, and he's got about sixty percent of the Douglas County votes. And you know, Arapahoe County is obviously going to be the only district in the eighteenth after it splits up in four years, and that's my home district. It's also my opponent's home district. 
So I think that's significant that I'm up by that uh, that big of a margin in both of our home districts. He may move. Oh, that could happen. Yeah. I admire your tenacity. Uh, what about the national election? As we speak on Friday afternoon, do you think Donald Trump's out of there? I think so. We'll see if he actually leaves voluntarily, but I do think he's out of there. So I, I was up quite late last night. After my results, I knew there weren't any more coming in for my race. I stayed up till about one in the morning watching the, the presidential results because I hadn't, to be honest, been very focused on that. But what's happening in Georgia, what's happening in Pennsylvania, those are very encouraging signs for Vice President Biden. And I am feeling pretty confident he's going to prevail. I'll tell you where Donald Trump did well. I haven't even looked at it, but Douglas County went wild for Republicans. They are a conservative district, but isn't that the way it happened in Dugco that Republicans had a great night? Yeah, they did. Um, and, you know, frankly, they had a bigger night in Dugco than than a lot of the candidates anticipating, including myself. You know, we had a really strong Democrat running in HD 43, which is Highlands Ranch. And people were, you know, cautiously optimistic that she was going to win. And that unfortunately did not happen. We had two great county commissioner candidates running in Douglas County as well as Democrats, and neither of them prevailed. And so, you know, it, it, Douglas County came in with a huge voter turnout. The voter turnout in Douglas County was 90 percent, but definitely lead Republican for sure. Right. They are active out there. What a delineation between Arapo and Douglas. And as we discussed last time, the counties are being split up insofar as judicial districts. And it appears that there's kind of a border war now between Arapo and Douglas, but maybe that's been going on for a while. But we don't need any wars. We need peace. I'm not sure Donald Trump will be a nice guy to Joe Biden. I sort of doubt it. Just the old criminal prosecutor and me, I see a criminal type who may try to take America hostage, leverage his situation to engage in plea bargaining. Would you plea bargain with Donald Trump to get him out of there? I don't think I would plea bargain with Donald Trump. I mean, he he needs to leave if he is a loser. I mean, th this is how our process works. You know, he's been making unsupported allegations about voter fraud going on around the country and they're just with no evidence to support that. And, you know, we need to be sure that he, he leaves the White House if he is defeated, which I think is going to happen. See, that's why you have good judgment, because <laughs> I know what it's like to lose a contested race. And now you're mm -hmm. on the verge of that possibly happening. And while you had such a lead, you could cry foul. And you're in a similar situation to Donald Trump. But I think you are a more mature person. Yes. Yep. I mean, again, we need to make sure every voter is counted. And if my opponent uh, prevails, then he's going to be the next district attorney. If I prevail, I'm going to be the next district attorney. And, you know, I look forward to working with him if he does prevail, because he made a lot of commitments to make some changes in the system. And we need to be sure that he follows through with those. But That's nice. I'm back to being good friends with Bill Ritter, but it took about 10 years after we ran against <laughs> each other. And I know there have been some dust ups in your race against John Kellner, but you are willing to support him, wish him well. And I love that. That's America right there in a nutshell. Are there any hard feelings? No. I mean, you know, whoever wins, wins fair and square. And, you know, I'm excited that he did add a number of reforms to his platform as we as the election neared. And so I'm optimistic that he will put those into place because I think they're really important to our community. They're definitely important to Arapahoe County. 
for sure. And so hopefully he will will implement those things. What happens next in Colorado politics? Scope it out from them perspective and if you can, the GOP. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what we saw in this election from the Democratic perspective is, you know, Biden won, Governor Hickenlooper won. But we had a lot of areas that we thought were going to be more purple or even trending blue that were not, such as Douglas County. And so, you know, that's something that uh, Democrats will need to address moving forward and see, you know, what are the needs of these areas that are predominantly unaffiliated? Even Douglas County is predominantly unaffiliated, but they voted, you know, Republican, whereas Arapahoe County is also predominantly unaffiliated, but it voted Democratic. And, you know, what are we addressing that the voters um, are interested in and how can we do a better job of, of that moving forward. In retrospect, didn't those many riots that happened in Aurora, part of Arapahoe County and on I-225, didn't that cost you three or four points with suburbanites who say, well, we don't go for that and we don't want a party that is in bed with anybody involved with that. Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to say. And I, I do understand those individuals' perspectives. And, and nobody wants riots. Nobody wants looting. Nobody wants these types of things to happen. But at the same time, nobody, well, at least I don't want racial inequities in our system. And so we need to do a better job of, of addressing those inequities. You know, it's kind of similar to my thoughts on preventing crime, let's try to address the causes of crime rather than just punish them after the fact. And let's try to address the causes if if people are unhappy, if there's civil unrest, what is causing that? And can we address those underlying causes and bring everybody to the table and make everybody, everybody happy? Whose Democratic star shines most brightly in Colorado? Is it John Hickenlooper or is it Jason Crow or Joe Neguse? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. <laughs> um, you know, I think I'm, I'm partial to Jason Crow because he's my own representative. But, you know, Jonah Goose also has a bright star. I mean, they, they are up and coming. I think they are going to be our future leaders. And, you know, they've actually both reached out to me in the past couple of days to offer support. And that's been really great. So I mean, I feel like the future of the Democratic Party is extremely bright here in Colorado. Big breakthrough for women in Colorado, Lauren Boebert. Is she the new star for the GOP or who else do you think might be? What about Kellner? If he goes on to beat you, he may be a superstar. And of course, George Brockler is young, ambitious. Scope it out for us. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that CD3 was another area that we've, you know, I think Democrats thought we had a chance of prevailing and it was uh, not the case. So <laughs> I think the new congresswoman there, she is definitely one of the GOP's rising star. You know, Mr. Kellner has disavowed any uh, interest in becoming a career politician, but, you know, that obviously is subject to change when people get elected. And it's hard to say what Mr. Brockler will do next. I know he, he seems to be gearing up for some sort of run. Maybe he'll run for the 23rd Judicial District when it is created, or maybe Mr. Kellner will. Who knows? That'll have to be seen. But yeah, I think those are probably the three three of the biggest names uh, right now on the Republican side in the state of Colorado. Something to be seen that we have never seen before is the female vice president. What are your yes. reflections on that? How do you regard Kamala Harris, who came to stardom as a prosecutor? Yeah. So I actually had the opportunity to meet Senator Harris uh, when she came out here for an event when she was running for president herself. And 
uh, was just really impressed with her and, you know, her background as a prosecutor and rose to be attorney general and then senator. And so I'm really excited at the prospect of having her as our first um, female uh, vice president. I, I really think she will do a great job of representing everybody and listening to all constituents and uh, really excited about that prospect. I'll tell you who impresses me, Amy Patton. I'm so appreciative of you spending time back in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. I learned a lot about your race and I live in this jurisdiction. I'm like you. I wish John Kellner well. I don't know that I've ever met him. Of course, I've heard about him, but we all live in the 18th and you've shown a kind of decency and grace where you had a big lead. You must have thought you might have won. I I know you look at all the trends, but it's just, to me, inspiring and says a lot about your character, the way you are reacting. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Super important. We're going to make sure all the votes are counted and see where we end up. And we will know probably a week from today At that point in time, all of the mail-in ballots and overseas ballots will be counted. So then we'll know who the winner is. Amy, I got to tell you, I just got a call that a guy who knows a guy saw an SUV. They think it was a Chevy Trailblazer dropped off 4,000 ballots, all marked Kellner in Castle Rock. (laughs) Huh? And I can get Rudy Giuliani to represent you. (laughs) <laughs> I go pass on that one. <laughs> God bless you. Keep your sense of humor, okay? Thanks a lot I for will. coming back in the lounge. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye now. Gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at MB LawLLC.com. Sandler Training is one of the leading sales training and leadership development companies in all the world. If you're interested in increasing your win rates and revenue margins, increasing the number of salespeople exceeding quota, addressing sales manager professional development, reducing your turnover of sales personnel, it's all waiting for you at Sandler Training. Call my pal Dan Levitt at 303-829-2107 and tell him Craig sent you. Hey, Danny, what happens if somebody calls and says, hey, Craig sent me? Well, Craig, for the first few minutes, we'll probably tell some jokes about you. What? Yeah. And then I'll dig into, you know, what what's going on in their world and whether or not I'm a fit for what, you know, might, might be able to help them or not. He's an easy guy to talk to. I've been talking to him for so many decades. Call my old friend, Dan Levitt, 303-829-2107, 303-829-2107.
Tell them Craig sent you. Hey there, I'm not going to take a lot of your time. I've been a lawyer almost 40 years. My brother was a lawyer, my father a Denver lawyer, my grandfather a Denver lawyer. If you have a legal problem, call me, 303-861-2800, 303-861-2800. If I'm not the right lawyer for you, I bet I know somebody who is. 303-861-2800, thank you. Now back to The Greg Silverman Show. My troubadour, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Craig, and thank you. I brought you over a little something to celebrate because did you hear Joe Biden is the president elect? No, I did not hear. Thank you for that wonderful news. I'm giving the official Craig Silverman show podcast announcement. I'm calling it right now, Friday night before anybody else does. And I'm glad you are listening. I'm listening and it's it's a historic moment. Sometimes you don't listen so well, but I listened over and over to one of my favorite songs in the world, and you wrote it called Hard of Understanding. Hard of Understanding. What is that about, Dave Gunders? That phrase came to me as a takeoff from, uh, from off the expression hard of hearing, and I was uh, making the distinction between people's ability to, uh, to hear versus our willingness to listen. So the, you know, the idea of the expression heart of understanding came to me. And uh, I thought, well, let's write a song about this. It is one of my favorites. And it's so apropos of the times, because I think there are so many lyrics that apply, including your pandemic line. And I know you wrote this before the pandemic saying, hey, we're all in this together. Right. Right. True. True that. Maybe you're not just a troubadour. Maybe you are a prophet, Dave Gunders. Stop calling me names, Craig. Okay, I will. But you know what presidential phrase you turned in your song? Uh, No, you know my songs better than I do. You use the expression, let me be. You said it's perfectly clear. When I hear perfectly clear. You think of Nixon? I think of Dick Nixon. Yeah. (laughs) Let me make this perfectly clear. Yeah, he did. And then you have one that's apropos of Donald Trump and his first debate performance. Do you know what that was? Go ahead. The proud getting prouder. The proud getting prouder. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think the proud has to eat a little bit of humble pie here. I, I hate to see him fanning the flames of uh, of doubt in our in our in our election system. It's terrible. But at this point, I'm hoping most people just aren't really listening to him. But you know, your song, and we're going to play it right now, people listen to their own channels. And I think Fox, I don't know if you've watched any of it, but they're the ones who have him just six electoral votes away. They called Arizona early. Rupert Murdoch is standing up to Donald Trump, and they may start to compete in the conservative media world. So that's what I think is going to happen. But boy, the next few forward. months, the next oh, few months are yeah. going to be very oh. tenuous. Do you have enough whiskey to get through that? I'm working on it. Yeah. The next few months, he's what we're going to see is, is, is Donald throwing a tantrum. How that's going to, you know, pan out, I don't know. 
I but, think he's uh, going to try to hold this all hostage for a good uh, plea deal where he and his cronies don't have to go to prison. And we'll fine. all have to think about that. But he has a lot of supporters. Yes, and the next does. move is for the Republicans. But our next move is to play your song. Thank you, Craig. It's so great. Thank you, Troubadour. Heart of understanding. Talk to you soon.
Dan Levitt, Sandler Training. Hi, Dan. Craig sent me. Craig Silverman? That's him. Man, can I tell you a good story about Craig? I'd love it. Once Craig took his dog, Tuffy, to a singing competition. For what purpose? Well, the dog was going to be in a dog food commercial. And how did they do? Well, Tuffy did fine. That dog, he could sing. So did they get the job? No, they didn't. There was a problem. And what was that? Well, Tuffy only sang when Craig started singing. And when that happened, everybody around started laughing. You know, Craig's not a good singer. But Craig's a great talker. You know, he sure is. Now let's talk about how Sandler can help you. Great. My sales team really needs help. You've come to the right place. Sandler Training can help you big time if you are a salesman or a sales manager. If you would like to learn more about Tuffy or me or how to make sales, call my old friend Dan Levitt, 303-829-2107, 303-829-2107. Tell him Craig and Tuffy sent you. This is the Craig Silverman Show, and I'm Craig. Our democracy is at stake. It's never been more important to let your voice be heard. Join the conversation and fight for our democracy. It is our duty and our constitutional right. Follow The Craig Silverman Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at C. Silverman Show. Be a part of the change. Now, back to The Craig Silverman Show. Welcome back to our special Friends of the Show show with Samantha Cook, who was a star in her first appearance. She was a candidate for the state legislature out of Denver. She's a Republican. Samantha, welcome back. Good to be here, Craig. I'm excited to talk to you. Well, tell us how the election went from your perspective. Well, I I am disappointed. I did not win my state house race in Denver. I understand, you know, from the get go, it was it was an uphill battle. I understood, you know, it's a pretty democratic area, but you know, I I wanted to give it a shot. I wanted to get out there and and stand up for some of the issues that you know other people in my community had mentioned, and I'm really glad I did it. So yeah, it was a good experience. Now remind me of your district. Is it Southwest Denver? Yeah, yeah. So it goes as far as around exposition and then it comes down in between Sheridan and Federal, takes in a piece of Lakewood and then also comes down and takes in just one precinct of Jefferson County. I've lived most of my life in Denver, southeast Denver. Now I'm just barely outside southeast Denver in Arapahoe County. But do you consider yourself a suburbanite or a city girl? Definitely more suburban. I, uh, I have three, three little kids. So being out a little bit outside of the city seems to be a little bit more family friendly and, and good for, you know, where we're at in our lives right now. Sure. But still Denver and the suburban yeah. housewife was the target. Donald Trump said, why don't you like me? Please like me. But you do like Donald Trump. So Tell us how you are feeling today. We're recording this Friday at noon. Do you think he's still president? Does he have a chance? What do you think? You know, it's really hard to tell. You know, I think everybody is just kind of seeing, I think everybody on both sides is seeing a mess. You know, nobody really seems to know what's going on. I still, I guess, consider President Trump 
the president. Well, he is. I phrased that poorly. Do you think yeah. he got reelected? <laughs> Do you think he's going to serve his second term? At this point, I would say yes. And that's, you know, I say that hesitantly just because I don't know. I, I understand, you know, that Biden, you know, the, the, the gap has narrowed significantly. So it's going to be I'm not going to be surprised whichever way it goes. I just hope that we can get a, a clear answer based on legitimate votes, you know, that the ones that are legal votes that we can get counted and, and get confirmation that this is a fair process. <laughs> and where are you where are you going for your information right now? I'm, I listen to mostly independent journalists. I don't pay attention much to the mainstream media. I really like Charlie Kirk. Of course, I like Craig Silverman. <laughs> I wow, like, that, those are two different people right there. <laughs> I know. Well, you got to get both sides. You got to get all perspectives. I, you know, I like people like Dave Rubin and Steve Dace. And, you know, I, I try and I try and just kind of I haven't honestly in the last few days, I've really kind of stepped away from it a little bit just to, for my own sanity. But I kind of check in every once in a while to see what people are saying. <laughs> and I see you on Twitter, too, Samantha. And uh, mm -hmm. here it's noon. And have you seen that Biden has taken the lead in Georgia? and also in Pennsylvania. And what do you make of that? Georgia, I'm not overly surprised. I, I had been kind of hearing that it was leaning that way all along. Pennsylvania, I haven't checked in in a couple of hours. I had heard that there was a difference of about, was it in Pennsylvania that it was about 60,000 votes that they were still waiting to count? So it's really difficult to say. I think I would be I would be surprised if Pennsylvania went towards Biden just because of his flip flopping on issues like fracking and oil and gas. And that's such a huge issue there. But, you know, people vote based on different things. So I guess we'll see see the turnout. Right. But the numbers, it was Donald Trump up by, I don't know, almost close to a million votes on election night. And it looked mm -hmm. like Pennsylvania was lost. But Joe Biden keeps coming back. How do you think that's happening? I don't know. I, I think we're all trying to hold back from, you know, accusing things like voter fraud and, you know, kind of sketchy activities. But we have seen a little bit of that across. People have been sending me videos of different areas of people filling in about like poll watchers filling in ballots, the Sharpie thing in Arizona. I know that that sounds insignificant, but when you have these things happening kind of in different areas, it doesn't give you much confidence that this is a fair process. Right. But I'm just I'm asking you about the order where Trump was so far ahead on election mm -hmm. night and now Joe Biden is coming back so strong. Right. Is, do you understand any reason that that might exist? Not not specifically for Pennsylvania. Let me give it a shot, okay? And you won't get this from Charlie Kirk or a okay. few of the others mentioned. <laughs> well, that's why I come to you. Okay, <laughs> so would you agree that Donald Trump encouraged his voters to go to the polls on election day? I I believe that was, yeah, I think that right. was what and, he was he said, strongly suggesting. He, he said, don't trust mail ballots, especially for states that are doing it for the first time. That's why I want you to come to the polls on election day, especially in the Keystone critical state of Pennsylvania. I believe that happened. And here in Colorado, as you all know, you just ran for office. The clerk and recorder starts counting the votes even before election day. 
they don't release the results, and then they get the votes on election day, and we get fast results in Colorado, as I'm sure you experienced on Tuesday night in your own race. Well, in Pennsylvania, they had a law that said you can't count mailed-in ballots until after the election, and it was sort of an antiquated law because they didn't used to have that many. And then when people realized that was going on, they went to the legislature, but the legislature refused to change it to a Colorado-type system. And do you know what party controls the legislature in Pennsylvania? I'm not sure. It's the Republicans, the House and the Senate. And so they killed any effort to change that. And accordingly, everybody has been warned that there would be a red mirage because Trump's encouraged all his voters to come to the polls on Election Day. And the Democrats were told by uh, the Biden-Harris team, get it in the mail, get it early. Don't risk pandemic by going to the polls. We want you to vote as early as possible. So you can see why the Trump vote would be strong on Election Day. And the Biden vote would be in the mail and in the drop boxes, the ones that would be counted later. So I'm explaining to you why Biden's been able to catch up at the amazing rapid rate that it's happened, because his votes are counted after the Trump day of votes. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. But that also kind of puts into question the legitimacy of mail-in voting. Um, I mean, how so? Well, we well, do it not, in Colorado, and it, it's the gold yeah. standard. Well, I, I I would question that as well. I know that our Secretary of State, I believe there was a lawsuit brought against her for having voter rolls that had over 100% voter registration, and they hadn't been updated. I know that there was some reasoning she cited for that, but it does bring into question, you know, and, and we've seen, I mean, I, I've looked at voter rolls in Colorado that have multi, like 20, 10 to 20 people registered at the same address. So... You know, it, it when you have mass mail-in voting and, and Democrats saying, hey, everybody mail in your vote, and then, then Trump is saying, hey, everybody come in and vote in person, and the mail-in voting system just happens to take over when Trump has this huge lead, that to me says there might be something questionable going on there. So I'm not saying that it is. I'm not accusing anybody, but I do have to say that it puts more into question. Um, if it was just a small lead, you know, just a few thousand votes, that'd be one thing. But when you come in with a mail-in system and it completely overtakes the in-person system, you kind of have to wonder, okay, are all of these, I mean, we want to legitimize every vote, both mailing in and in person. And you've brought up some other sketchy situations in Arizona. That's where the Sharpie situation was. <laughs> they gave uh-huh. Trump voters Sharpies and then they get disqualified for being too big. And then in Vegas, you always have to worry about hanky panky in Vegas, right? And there are allegations right. of illegals voting and whatnot. So the claim of the Trump administration, best I can tell, and it hasn't been called as we speak on Fox News, but I think that's going to happen. AP has called the race. I think the Trump attack, and he's going to bring it in court, is look at what happened in Arizona. Look at what happened in Nevada. Listen to what Samantha Cook had to say <laughs> on the Craig Silverman show about Pennsylvania and put it all together. And we've got systematic cheating by those damn Democrats. and. 
what's your reaction to that argument, Samantha? Is it a good one for you? Well, I mean, I it's hard, especially, you know, I yes, I did run for office here, but I'm also, you know, just an everyday person sitting back watching this stuff unfold on TV. And the finger pointing is it's tiring and exhausting. Ultimately, if there's a case to be made, I mean, we we just if there's voter fraud, if there's something nefarious, if people are being given Sharpies, if, you know, windows are being blocked, we want to make sure that things that are not supposed to be happening are not happening. You can make all the claims that you want and you can make all the argument you want, but we want to we want to prove what's happening. You know, anybody on either side can yell and scream about unfairness and cheating, but we got to bring it to people that can verify whether or not that's actually happening. I think that's what it comes down to. You bring up the windows being blocked. What are you speaking about? I believe that was in Detroit. Somebody was sharing videos. Um, this lady, her name was Connie. She was did a live stream from within one of the voting centers in the heart of Detroit. And there were there was a counting area in one of the, um, I think, a conference room. And on the outside, they were coming up and putting a poster board around all of the windows so you couldn't look in to the counting area. So, you know, we don't really know why that was happening. She said that was the area where she said vehicles brought the 130,000 votes that all happened to be for Biden. She was there when they brought those votes in. Tell me about that. Wayne County, Michigan, there are secret deliveries of just all Biden votes. I, yeah. I, and she named she even labeled the, or named the kind of vehicles that pulled up. She labeled, said there were three vehicles that came up with these mail in votes. And there were I think she said one hundred and thirty thousand. I'll have to, I will send you the video for sure. Right, you can but have a look are, at it. Aren't there some other claims of three hundred thousand? of these ballots somewhere else? I believe so. You know, it's a sad day when you say I can't keep track of it all. <laughs> and this window blocking situation, wasn't that where people from the outside were just trying to look in to the building where the counting was going on and then they put up some boards to keep them from doing that? From my understanding, whether it was in that specific location or not, I know there was an area where they were not allowing poll watchers in, Republican poll watchers in, and there was a lawsuit brought, I believe, by the Trump team. Yeah, that's in Philadelphia where they said because of pandemic rules, they weren't in a position to even see, and they've gone to court on that. Yeah, well, that was, but I bet they were specifically, I mean, I don't understand how, you know, the Democrat poll watchers can be in there and not be susceptible to COVID, but the Republican poll watchers can't be in because they're susceptible to COVID. I mean, the the argument there doesn't really hold if that's what they're saying, but they need to allow poll watchers in there. This, you know, they knew the pandemic was already there. So to say that it's because of COVID, I mean, we already knew it's there. So that should have been factored into the plan from the beginning and not just a surprise reasoning at this point. Right. I think they should give them little ladders, be six feet above. Although, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I know, right? That's You should just let them know you've come up with this great idea. Or binoculars or those little <laughs> opera glasses that fancy ladies like you take to the opera, right? Oh, <laughs> that's what I do in my free time. <laughs> but here's the thing. If I, and I'm, I think it's Donald Trump Jr., you're probably on his Twitter feed. I am to see what he's up to. But you've already said you're thinking 450,000 Biden-only ballots have been smuggled in to this late counting to bring the result. I'd be pissed if I believed that. And a lot of people are, and they're showing up with long guns, 
in Maricopa County. And I think that Wayne County, Detroit thing, and some other places, they put up some plywood kind of like downtown Denver in anticipation of possible violence. They don't want windows being broken, but I, I think the observers are still being allowed. They they have that controversy in Philly that's gone to court. But these people who showed up in Maricopa County, including Representative Gosar, is that okay? I mean, don't they have a right to do it if they think that 450,000 illegal ballots might be flowing into Arizona counting rooms. I'll tell you how I feel about that if you tell me how you feel about that first. Well, from what I understand, and like I said, I've taken a step back a little bit, so I might not be up you know, on all the details of everything. So I appreciate you filling me in. But it's, you know, they've they've mobilized the National Guard to different areas to keep the election safe, to keep the counting safe, to make sure that, you know, things are be done, being done in the way that they should be. You know, I don't know how I I don't know how I necessarily feel about the National Guard getting involved. You know, it's not to say but I mean, we've we've had very real threats of violence happening all, you know, uh, leading up to the election, saying that people are going to protest, people are going to, you know, get out into the streets. And and we've had very, you know, businesses have very real reasons to be nervous about that kind of activity. So perhaps there's, you know, some reasoning for the National Guard to get involved because of that. But I, you know, I don't. I'm not talking about the National Guard. I'm talking about militias, citizen militias. Are you down with that or not? Me personally, I'm not comfortable with it. I understand what they're doing. We're in a place right now that we've never been in before where people are not feeling safe. They know that if they go and stand up, especially for a Trump vote, that they might be met with some resistance, might be met with some protesters. So people, I don't think they're showing up to carry out violence. I think they're showing up to prepare in case violence breaks out. And and it's unfortunate that that's the reality of what's happening in our country right now. But I understand why they're doing it. Am I comfortable with it? Not necessarily, but I get it. (laughs) Well, you know, there was that episode, tragically, where Lee Kellner lost his life behind the library near Denver Art Museum. And the first time I had you on was the Back the Blue rally that you were going to as a candidate, as a concerned citizen. And you described well how frightening it was and how you got accosted. And this was the statement on the part of, I don't know if it's militia, Tig Tegan, Randy Corcoran. They held it to reclaim their Greek amphitheater grounds. A lot of people showed up, including this man who got shot to death. What did you make of that whole situation? Well, I think especially, you know, having been in the midst of a situation like that, you know, back in July, I don't think people really understand how quickly it can escalate and how brazen these groups are. They, they're, you know, you, you see it on TV and you think that they're just protesting and they're just, you know, they're not really going to do anything, especially if you don't antagonize them. And that's just not true. They feel that it's their right and their position to get in your face and to threaten you just because they disagree with you. So, you know, we'd like to hope that it would just be, you know, both sides showing up to protest their cause and keeping it peaceful. But that's not the situation and that's not the tone that we're in right now. I promised you I would tell you what I thought about those people showing up in Maricopa County. And I appreciate that you didn't watch it on TV. You've got three small kids. I'm sure 
I have more time yeah. to dedicate to this, but I thought it was bullshit. You don't show <laughs> up with guns outside a, a jury deliberating. I mean, come on. And that's why they put up that wood in Wayne County, because they didn't want protesters disrupting things. And to me, decent people don't do that. And well, and I, I agree, but these groups are not necessarily full of decent people, and you don't know who you're going to be met with. They had a representative. They had Alex Jones there the other night. They had Representative Gosar, a mainstream person. And there are Republican leaders, Corporan, some Republican committee man now in Colorado. There's rarely any Republican leaders anymore, but you and I met on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I told you to take a second look at Michelle Malkin. I look at her Twitter to see what she's up to. And she's right now posting afternoon of Friday. This is no time to go wobbly. Full stop. So they're declaring war on this election result. And are you down with that? Or where do you stand, Samantha? No, I don't know that I'm... (laughs) You know, I can't say never, but I'm not at the point where I think that that's, I I don't know. I just have a hard time endorsing, you know, chaos and uh, violence of any kind. Um, But maybe I just, I'm a little bit more optimistic. I I hope for the best in people and that, you know, it won't result in that. I do think that we need stronger Republican leaders. I think that's been kind of a complaint of the party in general for years and I I don't know whether or not she's saying we need people to get out there and fight, but we also need to tell our Republican leaders now is not the time to back down. If there's a case to be made where we really need to fight for these votes and, and make sure that they're legitimate, then let's do that. But um, to what extent? I don't want to see it get violent or to turn into, into any kind of civil war. That's the last thing any of us want to see. That's great. I love talking to you. You are young. I'm sure you will run again and stay involved in politics. I'd encourage you to reject conspiracy theories. I think America told Republicans that a lot of your policies are pleasing to people, but some of the character defects are not. So that's my assessment of what's going on. I don't know if you saw, Samantha, that I wrote in the Colorado Sun that When I saw Kamala Harris, I thought of Samantha, not you, (laughs) Samantha Stevens from Bewitched, which was a big show when I was growing up as a baby boomer, because Mm -hmm. she just seemed to have that style where she could twitch her nose and make a guy do something stupid or help uh, (laughs) her husband Darren. Did you ever watch that show, Bewitched? I did. And, you know, even as a kid, everybody always asked me if I could wiggle my nose. Not so much now, because I don't think a lot of people are familiar with uh, Samantha Stevens. But when I was a kid, it happened all the time. (laughs) How about that as a woman that we finally have a female as vice president? That's never happened before. Have you thought about that? I have. And I do not like Kamala Harris. I mean, and it's not about whether or not she's a woman. It's about what she brings to the White House. And I, you know, I 
to me, you know, having America first policies, a love for our country far outweighs whether or not you're a man or a woman or you're white or black or whatever your situation is in life. If you love our country, then I stand behind you. If I don't, which I don't believe Kamala Harris does, um, then I it doesn't matter to me if you're a woman. <laughs> no, because you love America first. And do you know yes. the origin of that term America first? Uh, I cannot think of it in this moment. <laughs> I think it was pre-World War II, people encouraging us not to get involved there, like Charles Lindbergh, we can make a pact with Hitler, let's just protect the homeland. And uh, I'm sure that's not what you mean by America first, but what, what does America first mean to you? Well, I think it's about protecting our country and valuing our, you know, our founding vision. And, you know, I find it really hurtful and offensive to constantly hear how racist America is and how oppressive it is when we're the most free country in the world. Are we perfect? No, absolutely not. Do we always have things that we can improve? Yes. But we are also a country where we are free to make those improvements and we are free to constantly improve and voice our opinions and uh, make changes as individuals in our own communities and run for government and run for office and and protest if we want to. So that's that's what it means to me. And then, you know, the stronger we are as a nation, the more you know beneficial we can be to the rest of the world and we can help where it's needed. Well, that's interesting. Donald Trump has said that uh, Kamala is a monster and a socialist or a, or a communist. Do you agree with that? I don't know if I would call her a monster. I kind of try to stay away from the name calling. <laughs> but I do believe that she's a communist. Her last ad that she put out just within the last week, at the end of it, she talked about how, you know, it's about the equality of outcomes. It's about all ending up in the same place. And to me, that's a direct endorsement of communism. Donald Trump has said that he doesn't really see much in the way of systematic racism anymore in America. Do you agree with him? I and this is, I know this is one of those tricky questions. I do believe re there are racist people in our country. There are white supremacists in our country. There are people that hold these dangerous ideologies that exclude others based on their skin color, based on feeling that because of their, you know, their own skin color, they're superior, that they deserve more, that we should, you know, rid our country of certain ethnicities. That does not speak for the majority. And I have yet to find a policy or um, any law that applies differently and is written intentionally differently for me because I'm white and written another way for somebody because they're black. Like there's there's nothing written that way um, on an official level that is applied to me differently than it is to someone who, of a different skin color. And finally, Donald Trump is saying that there was systemic cheating against him in this election. Do you support that? I honestly do think that there has been a lot of planning for this chaos. I think there is some corruption. I think there are a lot of things that are very questionable that are not just coincidental. You know, the Democrats have been against President Trump from day one. I know that he's not your favorite. And I, and I, you know, to each their own, but to the level at which they've been against him, we were expecting to see probably some cheating here going on in our elections. So I think to a degree that, yes, that's probably true. And do you think Donald Trump is capable of cheating? Uh, he's not a perfect human being. Um, so I think anybody. No, but I mean, on the election, like appointing <laughs> yeah. Phil, Phil DeJoy postmaster, do you think he was thinking at all about the election when he did that? 
About which one? About Sorry? his appointment of Philip DeJoy as postmaster of the United States. Um, I'm not familiar with that name. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah. let's just let's just agree <laughs> that it's wonderful for us to talk with each other. And I imagine you were going to stay involved in Republican politics. Am I right? I yes. I mean, I'm definitely passionate about it. You know, getting involved, and I I do try and be as balanced as I possibly can. Um, but it comes down to just love. And wanting to preserve that freedom and individual liberty. And I will definitely want to help with that in any way I can. And if it comes down to, oh my gosh, now I have to choose between Donald Trump and some other Republican, what will you do? Um, well, evaluate what the other Republican has to offer and what their policies are, where they stand. And, you know, I know Donald Trump is not our uh, typical politician, he's not a politician. And for me personally, that's what I like about him. Because I, you know, I think he's getting things done and kind of taking things away from politics that a lot of people don't like. So, but it really just comes down to: Are they going to do what they say they're going to do? Do they love our country? Are they going to fight for the American people? So, I'm not stuck on Donald Trump solely. It just, it's you know, the best candidate for the job. Here we are, Friday afternoon. Can you accept that he didn't win, or you want to see more? I want to see how it turns out. Um, you know, if he doesn't win. It, we'll move forward from there. I'm not going to go burn anything down. So, and if he wants, um, to, if he wants the nomination again in 2024, are you open to that? I am open to that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I'm open to that. Gosh, I like talking to you, Samantha. Really appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate you. Okay. Bye now. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Follow The Craig Silverman Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at C. Silverman Show. And subscribe to The Craig Silverman Show podcast on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher. Don't quit on democracy. Be a part of this historic moment. Connect with us on social media at C. Silverman Show. In my practice of law, Michael Bailey, decisions are often left to a personal representative. God forbid a person gets killed. That's an important decision you can make ahead of time. Who is going to be your personal representative? What is your advice in that regard? So you want to pick somebody as a personal representative who has several qualities. Number one, you want them to kind of have a good sense of financial stuff and and matters like that so they can, they can deal with that. You know, I have a friend who's really, really good and really, really smart and is scared to death to fill out a tax form because they don't quite, just the finances don't make sense to them. So you don't want to pick that type of person. You want to pick somebody who can understand finances. You want to pick somebody who's trustworthy, who will carry out your decisions. And if you can do it, you want to pick somebody who's not afraid of people not liking them or getting their feelings hurt. Now back to the Craig Silverman Show. Good morning, Marty Coniglio. What a morning it is. Friday morning, a little after 10. How are you feeling? Uh, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good. I'm just getting ready to, I got to head back to Nebraska here today. And I feel pretty good. How about you? I'm good. Is your native Lincoln part of that second CD that provided the one electoral college vote for Biden? Unfortunately, no. That's uh, We're going to have to credit Omaha for that. 
my father's birthplace. Nice. Peyton Manning had called this election a long time ago, right? Oh, did he? I don't, I don't remember that. When he kept yelling Omaha? Oh, Omaha. Omaha. There you go. Oh, yeah. Well, as it turns out, they're not going to need Omaha. Right. But it was it was nice to have it as a cushion for a while there, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's good to know. I think it also points out that the middle of the country is really not homogenous. You know, people like to paint those red, like it's like it's universally red, which is not the case. If you win by one vote, you get to flip the map one color or the other, but that doesn't mean that everybody's on board with a particular philosophy. Well, I learned a lot about the Midwest by talking to you last time you were on the podcast. This is our friends of the show show. And while Marty Coniglio, mm-hmm. you are a friend of this show. You were on for a couple hours explaining your big move from Channel 9 to a different life, getting very politically active. And I'll never forget our last interview when you told me what a high percentage you felt there was of white supremacists in Nebraska, in the Midwest. Remind right. people of what you said then. I think what you you find is that there's a there's a pretty significant number of people who who believe, who truly in their heart believe that they're good people and they're God fearing people and they're Christian people, but they want freedom for themselves. They want equal access under the law for themselves. But for people who don't look like them and talk like them and worship like them, they inherently feel like they they have not as much of an access to the American dream. And and that's that is by definition systemic racism. And part of the insidious nature of it is that you don't know it. You know what I mean? It's like when you're, if you're, uh, if you might be unfortunately addicted, you might have a substance abuse problem. I mean, they always say the first step on the road to recovery is acknowledging that you have a problem or recognizing that you do. And I think that self-awareness is lacking in a big chunk of the country. And and I I can say that because I have friends and family in that part of the country, and I've had some, you know, over the time after I left Channel Nine. I've had some very frustrating conversations with people where you present them with fact, historical context, and they just look at you blankly and go, "Yeah, well, I'm voting for Trump anyway." And and you just you you know you just have to shrug and you take the victories where you can and hope that we, as a society, especially I think Gen Z and the millennials really came out and in some ways I think save help save the day which gives me hope. Absolutely. I'm a member of the Baby Boomers. I don't know if you're old enough to be part of that, Marty, but Baby Boomers, we were far from the greatest generation, and I hope that the next generation will be better. Me too. And Craig, I am also a boomer. I look at my, you know, I had the privilege and the pleasure of working with so many younger individuals in the news business who are delightful people and sharp people and their views on on marriage equality and their views on religion are very different than ours they're like they respect everyone's views but they're not 
they don't they don't believe that it, they're disqualifying for a relationship. I know people who are raised raised Catholic, you know, Hispanic Catholics who are j- dating a Jew, and it's like, and they're both like, yeah, so big deal, you know, a generation ago, that's a big deal, and now they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's Jew. I'm Catholic or reverse. They, they don't care. And I, I, I think that a more of a mutual respect and less getting caught up in the, you know, who deserves what. And it's like in America, the whole idea is we all deserve an equal shot. Isn't that a question of familiarity as well? Could it be that uh, the bigoted people that you describe in the Midwest just haven't been exposed as much to different people, black people, Jewish people? I mean, Omaha is probably more progressive because I know there's a significant Jewish community there and there are a lot of black people, too. Maybe that's why they went against Trump, because it's a little more diverse in Omaha. Oh, it's it's way more. I, for instance, you know, here on the Front Range, we pride ourselves. You know, we're the progressive center of Colorado, without question. But as far as diversity goes, the Omaha, Nebraska area is is much more diverse than we are here. And and there have been racial tensions in Omaha for generations that go back generations, and and there are still. You know, it's like, do you live on this side of town or that side of town? But I think in more and why I I believe why you see bigger metropolitan areas that are more diverse tend to be left leaning socially is because you interact with other people and you go, oh, they're people. Okay, you're pretty cool. Where are you from? Somalia? Oh, that's neat. You know, and and when you're from, you know, a small town and you you only know people who look like you and you only know people who talk like you and there's a there's a natural tribal fear. I call it the caveman, you know, you kinda go back to your caveman brain and you, you distrust other people, but that that can hopefully can be broken down, you know. I, I, I hope. I'm I'm hopeful that we continue to evolve. That's all you can that's all you can hope for. My gosh, we barely survived the week. But when you brought up small towns, I was thinking of Rifle, Colorado, where Lauren Bobert has her shooter's grill and now she's gonna be a congresswoman. And it occurs to me that by and large, I'm not sure people in Rifle ever heard me on the radio or on a podcast, maybe, but I know they get nine news over there. When you were on nine news for so long, were you aware that, hey, I'm not just talking to the Denver Metro, people up on the Western Slope, Lauren Boebert's new district, are also listening? How does that affect you, if at all? Not at all. I, not at all. Because when I was doing my, my weather duty, I, you know, you're, you're politically agnostic. It really has nothing to do with any of my personal views. And my, my view is a broadcast meteorologist is that it, it truly is it is to serve everybody to the best of my ability and give everybody the most information that I could. So I really would never, I never gave that any consideration. Those places that were having, you know, active and or dangerous weather, you give them, you give them all the attention you have the time to give them. And it wouldn't matter to me. The part of the thing that I truly love about Colorado 
is the geographic and the climatic diversity of the state just from a from a scientific standpoint and it's it's really exciting to be able to talk about well this is happening here and it's windy and warm here but oh my goodness can you believe the you know the heavy snow that's happening perhaps it's happening down along the colorado river basin uh, near rifle or thereabouts so that wouldn't affect you know me as me at all i mean i as you know, 35 years, I kept my mouth shut. And then I, I, when I saw what I truly believe, and I think the behavior of the president this week has demonstrated and has validated my concern that you had somebody in the presidency who is fundamentally an undemocratic person who does not believe in the American system of government, does not believe in democracy, to believes in autocracy, thinks he's a dictator, and he has to go. And I, and the only thing I would say to who voted for him was you can't, you can't parse out. It's like, oh, well, I like this thing he did here. I like this thing he did there. That's like taking six downs in football to get a first down. You don't get to do that. Right. Why, why not seven downs? Yeah, why not seven? Right. As far as Trump so stipulated, I think he was an existential threat as president, and he still is. He's still president. My goodness, what's going to happen next, Marty Coniglio? No clue. No clue. My hope is is that his, his bluster collapses on itself, that we hopefully get, you know, I'm not holding my breath, but that we get responsible Republican elected officials in the House and Senate to say, no, you can't do this, or no, you can't do this. We're going to adhere to the rule of law, and we're going to adhere to the will of the American people. And I think that the institutions will hold. I do not believe he has the, he has the ability to transcend them. Right. Thank goodness it's going to get up around 300 electoral college votes. If it was just one state, be it Pennsylvania or Nevada, and I have to tell you, strange things do happen in Vegas, but it's going to be Georgia, <laughs> God willing. Yeah, but it's but Craig, it stays in Vegas. I mean, come on, uh, right? <laughs> not this situation, but let's talk about the GOP and Cory Gardner going down to a double-digit defeat to John Hickenlooper. I'm so disappointed in Cory Gardner. He had so many chances to be an American hero including this week. He gave a nice concession speech, and he could have been the first sitting senator to speak out against Donald Trump. Hey, you have to abide by the vote. You can't proclaim you want a state. And the order of counting all these idiots, I'm listening to Denver Trump radio, and they say, why did they let Pennsylvania do it this way? Because the GOP legislature mandated it and Trump knew it and set it all up. And these Denver Trump radio people and other Trumpsters, can you believe the way they're describing the situation? It, it's, it's irresponsible. It's misinformation. You're doing Vladimir Putin's work for him. And what I would say in the GOP, as I said earlier, you have to recognize from within that you have a problem. And I am disappointed with Senator Gardner. He had a shot. He had a shot to he had a shot to win, frankly. And the way he could have won, and I think I 
you know, I like John Hickenlooper, and frankly, I voted for John Hickenlooper. But Senator Gardner had a shot to win by being, he could have be, been an independent. Because the fact of the matter is, is you could have had all the Trumpers say, oh, well, we're mad at you. Well, he's got an R behind his name, and they're going to vote for you anyway. And he had a chance to court moderate Democrats, and he didn't, and he just, he chose to not do that. And then his silence this week just shows the the cowardice that exists in the party. And I, I somebody needs, like Evan McMullen and, and some of these prominent Republicans need to stand up to defend our actual institutions as opposed to cowering for fear of, of having their own constituents yell at them. Sometimes you need to lead people and you need to say, yeah, just because you believe this doesn't make it true. And that's, that's the role of an elected leader. And so many of them have just, oh, they failed so miserably and they could have done so much, so much better. And hopefully they will in the future, but it's, you know, we're way too early in the process for that. We have to deal with COVID first. You know, you have all these silly people saying, oh, you won't talk about COVID after the election. We had 120,000 cases yesterday. And because of this horrific response, we're going to have to deal with this. So we, we have more pressing problems, literally life and death problems that we need to deal with at this point. And Cory Gardner echoed that stupid line of Donald Trump that this will all go away after the election. The hell it is. This is my kid's last day of his senior year at his high school because of Donald Trump's failures and Cory Gardner's failure to call him out. Exactly. Then then you have, I've castigated Denver Trump radio. That's a burr in my saddle. But I'm proud of Channel 9 and Kyle Clark and most of these networks that won't air the president's bullshit, and Kyle Clark calls it out. The president said this, which is false, and I admire Nine News for doing that. That's why I watch it. I watch them all, frankly, but how do you think Nine News is handling things? I think they're doing, I think they're doing very well. It's a fine line to walk between calling out falsehood, and, and, and I know that people want to say, well, you're biased and you hate Trump, and it's like, well, if somebody keeps violating the law or someone keeps lying, it is, it is as a journalist, it's their responsibility to say, nope, that's a lie. That is not correct. And that's, that's not being biased. That's reporting what is happening. And, and that's the, the sad thing is, is right now with, you call it the Trump radio ecosystem, the Fox News ecosystem, and all of the right-wing influencers on especially Facebook, some of whom are, are foreign actors who portray Americans, there are people who, who, honest to goodness, are just divorced from reality. They don't know what is really happening. I just saw a tweet from Donald Trump Jr. saying, oh, they're this, there are there are millions and millions of fraudulent votes, and 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 he's talking about fraudulent votes in in states where the legislature's Republican, the governor's Republican, the secretary of state's Republican, and 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 these people they're not they're not allowing fraudulent voting like every 
elected official doing that. They're doing their best on a local level to process this. Now, I will say, Craig, we got to fix how we vote nationally. This whole thing of people waiting in line, 8, 12, 15 hours, absolutely stupid. Colorado should be the model for the country. We had incredible turnout. You get your you get your ballot, you fill it out, you drop it off or you mail it in. That's the way nobody should be standing out in the heat or standing out in the rain or standing out in the blizzard to vote. It's it's nuts. It's anti-democratic. It's obvious voter suppression. The other side, the Republicans are arguing that the polls were so far off that they believe it was designed by Democrats or some kind of conspiracy to suppress their vote. What do you do with that? You don't. That's what I mean. When I've had conversations with people and you present them with facts and you present them with it, it, it's one of those things where you say, okay, so, so it suppressed the vote. Well, Sarah Gideon in Maine was, was polled to win by five to eight points and she lost by seven. Mainers didn't seem particularly impressed by that polling. You had Gary Peters, who's consistently up by four or five points in Michigan, barely squeaked it out, the, the Democrat there. The same thing in North Carolina. I don't even know how that turned out. I think Tillis may have held that seat. And they consistently had Cunningham ahead in the polls. And Tillis won. So it's like, the, 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 that's what I mean. These, are, these arguments are just counter logical. They're, they're just, they don't make sense even to themselves. It's just like a five-year-old who was playing with a toy, the toy broke, and they blamed the kid down the street for breaking the toy. It's nuts. It's immature, and it's, and it's not helpful. Marty, I admire you. You put your whole life on the line, and I hope you're doing well, and I hope somebody will realize there's a great meteorologist who had to tell the truth. These are not normal times, so you have a lot of fans, and I am one of them. But wow, Tuesday, Tuesday night, when it looked like Trump might win, and he became such a prohibitive favorite in betting markets, I went to bed Tuesday night, and I tossed, I turned. It was terrible. How about you? I did. I was up. I did a little doom scrolling in the middle of the night Tuesday, but when knowing that, it, which is, isn't this crazy? Mail-in votes, which may have arrived two or three weeks before the election, aren't counted until after Election Day votes, which is just nuts. But that's what was legislated. And everybody who knew anything said, hey, all, all the Democrats did mail-in because they didn't want to go out and be in public during a pandemic. And Trump told all his people, don't trust mail-in voting. So you knew it was going to trend toward him. And so I didn't feel that bad. I got up Wednesday morning and I went, oh, yeah, I think I think Trump's toast because of, again, and it's sort of my forward thinking brain of, you know where the data lie and you know what's going to come next. And it's the same thing with Biden. He never freaked out. He never flipped out. He said, ah, be calm, folks. We'll count them. We know his his staff. They ran a flawless campaign. Their data was flawless. And they said, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll get there because they knew what was yet to come. And when you're 
when you're losing, you're screaming and crying. And when you're winning, you can be calm and rational. And I think that's what we've seen. Frankly, if, if sleepy Joe Biden means I can get a good night's sleep for the first time in four years, I'm all for it. It's perfect. And you are a scientist. And really, it comes down to science and math. And for a couple of days now, we've realized, because the mail votes get counted last, that Biden was on the trajectory. But other people oh, yeah. don't like math and science the way you do, Marty. And <laughs> what do you do with those people who just don't understand it? I don't know. You got to carry them along. I've, it's something that I have... Uh, I will say this in the United States is we do need to take a serious look at our science, technology, education, and engineering and mathematics education in this country, because there are a lot of people for whom basic scientific concepts, basic arithmetic concepts are, are mysterious, and it shouldn't be that way. You know, the, the purpose of the public school system was to have an educated electorate so that people could make rational, educated choices. And, and we, as a nation, need to, to commit to that. And I will just tell you, Betsy DeVos was not going to get that done. So we need to make a, a strong commitment to that. And, and as I said, we're talking about you know, your, your children's generation and my children's generation. They're smarter than I was. They have had a better, better education than I did. And I hope that we continue to see that spread nationally because it's critical to the preservation of this system of government. You can't, you can't maintain a government that's for the people, of the people, by the people, however you want to put it, if you have superstitious, voodoo, you know, I believe this, you know, I believe the, the sky is lavender. I don't care what you say. It, it just it, that is not going to work. You have to be grounded in reality. It kind of goes back to Galileo's theory is being rejected by the church. What do you do with people who have, dare I say, dogma in them that just says, I don't care what Marty says about meteorology. I don't care what you say about the math shows a trajectory of Biden winning. I reject all that. What happens to the Trump cult now? I don't know the answer to that. I've, I think that the Trump family is going to be in for a very difficult time. You don't go to the Supreme Court to keep people from looking at your taxes if there's anything good in there. You, you don't. Uh, um, I think that uh, I would be willing to bet money that there's there is going to be tax fraud discovered within the Trump organization and perhaps the personal files. I won't go as far as, as some with the uh, money laundering, but the fact of the matter is, is he's in debt a billion dollars. Every one of his businesses loses money, and you have to say, how do they maintain themselves? What's their source of money? That is going to come up. I think they're going to be in and out of courtrooms, all of them, for, for a good part of the rest of their lives. And uh, as far as the cult goes, without a central figure, you know, without the Godhead, uh, he'll probably be calling into Fox Fox and friends daily until they get tired of him. 
because they don't have to listen to, they won't have to listen to them anymore after January 20th. So I don't know. It's disappointing to me that there are so many people who believe that freedom means I get to do whatever I want. That's not what freedom is. That's not what the American Revolution was about. The American Revolution was we want to govern ourselves. King George, you don't get to do it from across the Atlantic. We get to do it ourselves. And that doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want. It means we're going to set the rules by which we're all going to behave. And I think the Trump cult fundamentally does not understand that. They think, like Donald Trump does, being president means I can do whatever I want. There's no such thing as the division of powers and separation of powers in the democratic government. Isn't it like the Wizard of Oz? Don't we have to pull back the curtain and expose the yeah. wizard as the yeah. little man that he is? Yes, which a lot of people have tried to do. And I I believe that that this coalition, this coalition of of a multi-generation, multi-generational, multicultural people from across the country that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have pulled together, we'll pull the curtain back. And it's and the story is not going to get better for the Trump family. Everybody knows their finances are hinky and they're being criminally investigated and they've been criminally investigated. I mean, they had Eric in for a for a grand jury testimony yeah, you heard what was that a month ago? And barely gets a blip on on media because he's very good at bullying the media. Because if you report wrongdoing, then he then he calls it fake news, and all his followers get riled up. So I don't know. I hope it falls away, and I hope my greatest hope is that the GOP starts to heal from within and to listen to rational voices. Let's go back to the media. You are a veteran, decades in the media. Where did you get your news? Where are you watching this prolonged election day? You know, I I really haven't watched much TV. I just feel like a lot of that's just sort of horse race stuff. You know, oh, 15 votes here. Oh, 27 votes here. It's all horse race kind of things. I, honest to goodness, I just have, I have verified most of the major news outlets, of course, that are on TV. I, I just follow them on Twitter. I follow. Right. But don't you think that Fox News really has stood out getting Arizona in the Biden column early, taking a lot of grief for that? And with Omaha, all they needed was Nevada. And now Nevada will give them the six electoral votes necessary without even needing Pennsylvania that he's going to win. So I've been intrigued by this battle between Fox News, where most Trump supporters are tuned in, to see how they would play it. And I think it's a media battle, too. And whereas Cory Gardner didn't have the nerve to be an American hero and stand up to Donald Trump, I think Rupert Murdoch, an 89-year-old Australian-born guy, could be the American hero who will speak truth to Donald Trump you're out of here. I'm waiting till later today when Fox News declares Biden the winner. Don't you think that's a big effing deal? It is a big deal, but you have to remember, and I love the fact that you point out that Rupert Rupert is Australian. You know, this this great, you know, icon of everything and Fox News has a American flag waving behind it and this foreign owned entity. It's the irony is is just too much. Rupert Murdoch is a is a in his family 
they are astute business people, and they understand that there's a need in the media landscape for people to to be fed essentially Twinkie information. Twinkies meaning I'm just going to eat junk food. There's a there's a say, and they and they own that space. They own the right wing propaganda space. There's nobody close. They have no competition, and so that's why they say, "Well, they're number one." Well, there's they've, they, you know, if you're ABC, NBC, MSNBC, CNN, you're all trying to do straight news, and so you have other people doing that, and people have choices. If if you want to see propaganda, you go to Fox, and so they own that market. But once Trump ceases to be a factor, which is I'm going to happen later today, and I get he's still president, but he's going to be, he's a, he is the lamest of lamest ducks, and the, the Murdochs have to go with the bottom line. And the bottom line is they got to look for the next thing, and Trump is not the next thing. He is already yesterday's news. So when they called Arizona, that's just, they're, they're just using the mathematical models that they use to call states, and they're going to be right. You know what? They're going to be right. It's not like they were doing it to make anybody mad. They weren't doing it to make Trump mad. They weren't doing it to make Trump supporters mad. It's just like, well, here's where the numbers are followed. This is what's going to happen. And and they're going to turn out to be right, and and they're going to declare it. And I think if they're responsible, they will, rather than tiptoe around some of the president's president's egregious false claims of voting irregularities, they're just going to have to stop and say, well, he's just making a baseless allegation. I don't know if they'll do it, but I think they're business people, and he is, he's yesterday's news. He is already, he's already done. He's already finished. I I mean, you are probably more familiar with flying ducks than I am, but picture a duck flying high in the sky and he gets winged and he's falling to the ground because he is a lame duck not long for this earth. No, he he isn't. And and the fact of the matter is, is he's, in my memory, the laziest president ever. I don't know what he did other than watch TV. And that's when he was... Golf. He golfed. Yeah, he did do a lot of golf. That's true. But he he was live tweeting TV all day. And it's like, what what are you doing? You know, how what you know? And every anybody who worked for him said he never read the presidential daily brief. He never read his his intelligence reports. He didn't he didn't do any. He didn't do anything. Right. Michael so, Cohen says that he's allergic to preparation. He thinks that's for losers and suckers. Yeah. He just. Well, when you don't care about fact and you're just going to riff and say whatever you want, you don't have to prepare. It's whatever pops into your head. Like some of those rallies where he's talking oh. about toilets and flushing toilets 10 times and all that crazy Did gobbledygook. You? It's it's just you go, what are you doing? I watched that post-midnight rally in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was wild. The guy should be laying and talking to a psychotherapist. He's just unbelievable. But while we're on the subject of the media, since last we talked, Nine News has been in the eye of the storm with the events behind the library near the Denver Art Museum. 
I don't yeah. know if you want to comment on that, but I like talking about it because to me, it's a toxic brew. I've said it in my column with the Colorado Sun, and I'll say it again. It's going to be a very difficult case for a prosecutor in Denver to prove. But what are your thoughts, Marty? I'm glad you said that because, yeah, I don't want to go too far into it. I, I feel like my first reaction was first degree murder was an inappropriate charge. It's like, how could it possibly be first degree murder? And I think they've changed it to second, which I still think I'm not a lawyer. You're a lawyer. But I look at that and I don't know how you prove that. This is this volatile situation where it, from all appearances, the security person was assaulted with pepper spray. And, and, and I and go by back. A guy, and slapped by a guy who has rings on every finger, not unlike brass knuckles. Right. And so you, you, it, my, my response to that, and, and, for all the people who might be, oh, my God, you know, these media, no, they're terrible. If you do that to a cop, you're going to get shot, period. Absolutely. If you if you do that to a cop, you're going to get shot. And the cop is going to say, I was in fear of my safety and the safety of people around me. And the case is closed. It's happened hundreds of times. And so I really feel like it's, I'm sad. I wish that it hadn't happened. It's tragic. It was unnecessary. But I think that at the end of the day, I do not think that that man will be convicted of that crime. I, I just don't think he will. I'm telling you that I know the law. I know Denver courtrooms. And the jury is going to be instructed that once Doloff raises self-defense and claims I was in reasonable fear of imminent serious bodily injury or death, entitling me to use deadly force. At that point, the prosecutor has to disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. So in other words, anything close to a tie goes to the defendant. And it's going to be a tough case. And I'm glad one like that never landed on my desk when I was a Denver prosecutor, because one, I think it's a loser. Two, it poses all sorts of ethical questions for Beth McCann and her office. Amy Patton is going to be a guest on this show. Talk about late results. We'll find out from her whether she won or not. Mm -hmm. Elections have twists and turns, and sometimes it goes for you, sometimes against. We'll find out what happened there. Moving forward, Marty, is America in a good place? Did we dodge a bullet? And can we survive and thrive in the future? We dodged a bullet. It's closer than it should be, frankly. It's closer than it should be. We have a lot of work to do. The What you would call the Black Lives Matter movement, in my view, needs to be now just the American movement. We We need to recognize the racism that has existed in this country since its inception. And I'm hopeful that generation may not be our generation. You know, Craig, we just might be as a generation, we just might be too old. We may not be able to change, but those who come after us, I, I have hope. And, and especially 
the the young voters that came out in this election and participated, I hope that becomes the norm, which is why I want Colorado to be a template for how everybody votes. I'm proud to live in Colorado. I'm glad that we rejected Donald Trump by about 15 points. I think that speaks well about Colorado. Some people put their whole careers on the line to oppose Donald Trump. And at the top of the list is Marty Coniglio. Was it worth it, Marty? That is yet to be seen. I, I don't know the answer to that. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm in the short term, I'm doing fine long term. I really, you know, other than a little bit of consulting here and there, I don't know what I'm going to be doing, but I would like to pick back up and do more things. It has been nice to not wake up at two o'clock in the morning. That has been a big, big bonus. And my, my dog is pretty happy to have somebody around all day. Well, the cream rises to the top. You are so good to come back on our Friends of the Show show to get your reaction to this historic occasion. Marty, let's stay in touch. And I am envisioning a very bright future for you. I really do. Well, I like your vision. Let's hope it, it comes to reality. I, I can't thank you enough, Craig. You've just been a, you've been a great deal of support, and it has been uh, cathartic and really helpful for me to be able to, to talk to you on your show and be able to express these things in what I consider to be a, in, in a non-judgmental way. I like, I like your, your rational, uh, lawyerly way of questioning because you, you don't, you don't go off on any crazy tangents and you stay rooted to the ground and, it's been really helpful, and I deeply appreciate it. I, I hope that more people just take a look in the mirror and say to yourself, who do I want to be, and how do I want to treat other people? And, and, and hopefully we'll all start to come to, to more fair and equitable and empathetic and compassionate answers. And the correct answer is don't act like Donald Trump. That has to be an example for our children in the future. That's right. And, and honestly, when history is written, it is not going to be kind to Donald Trump. Because, Craig, we don't know everything yet. Right. We, have, we have all these staffers who have either lived in fear of their career or lived in fear of their safety who are now or, you know, in the coming months – they're going to come out and you're going to hear things that you thought you heard something crazy. And I think we're going to hear things that are even more outlandish than we could imagine. Right. And everybody will start saying what they really think, because if you think about it, now that Trump is defeated, Heidi Ganahl as a CU region has more power than Donald Trump. So does Lauren Boebert. And my God, right. a United right. States senator who's still in office. They are going to take a different attitude toward Donald Trump because in the long run, he's a disaster for the GOP. And the sooner they can get away from him, the better. Yeah. And they're going to realize that. And what you'll you'll have more and more people just come out and say, the emperor has no clothes. Right. And we remember when you said the emperor did have clothes. We remember those <laughs> yeah. in the media who said it. We remember the politicians. Lindsey Graham can turn against Trump now, but I will always remember what he did, won't you? Oh, yeah. I I don't know what Lindsey Graham stands for other than Lindsey Graham, but he's he's a sad, 
he's a sad man. He's a very sad man. Uh, and, and I'm, you know, South Carolina gets to pick their senator. I, I don't know what they're thinking, but I will tell you this. There are a lot of races coming up in 2022, and there are going to be in the Senate, there are going to be some people that will have Trump draped around their necks, like the albatross in the rhyme of the ancient mariner, and he will drag them down. And I'm thinking of Marco Rubio. He is going to suffer for what he has done, for how low he has laid himself and for how he has subjugated himself to Donald Trump, I think he's going to suffer for it. Poor little Marco. Great, Marty. So super to talk to you. Thanks for the nice words, and we will be in touch. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you. Marty. When we talk about medical directives, what sort of qualities are we looking for there? Looking for somebody who cares about you, somebody who wants to take care of you, but also somebody who's not afraid of making that decision because, you know, bad things might happen. You know, if if you have a, a son or a daughter who, you know, absolutely, you know, is a stereotypical mama's boy and can't imagine anything bad ever happening to his mom, and then suddenly has to make a decision about what kind of surgery mom needs to have or... You know, are we going to, what treatment option are we going to have for mom? And paralyzed by, oh no, I can't have anything bad happen to mom. Not the right person. So you want somebody who can look at a situation, still loves their, still loves the person, but is able to do, do what's right and do what's necessary for your parents or for whoever you have that you're acting on behalf of. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Hey there, I'm not going to take a lot of your time. I've been a lawyer almost 40 years. My brother was a lawyer, my father a Denver lawyer, my grandfather a Denver lawyer. If you have a legal problem, call me, 303-861-2800, 303-861-2800. If I'm not the right lawyer for you, I bet I know somebody who is. 303-861-2800. Thank you. Now back to the Craig Silverman Show. Hey there, Laura. Hello. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks to Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. How about you? (laughs) Well, basically, right now, we're all the kid in the back of the car on the road trip going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I should tell everybody we are recording this at 1.30 on Thursday, but the Colorado election is really fairly resolved, except for maybe my guest, Amy Patton, who is coming up in this same show. But Lauren yeah. Chapin, welcome back. You're on our Friends of the Show show. What do you make of election 2020? Well, I, I think I said this, if not for the Electoral College in the last two days, we, we would have gotten a lot more rest and gotten a lot more work done. You know, at this point, we're all just kind of, we're waiting. I, I think Pennsylvania will probably be 
what puts Biden on the oh, top. Yeah. That's going to be a done deal by the time this airs. Let's talk about Colorado. What was the biggest deal for you in Colorado? 115? Congratulations. Tell everybody about that. Yep. Proposition 115 was the attempt to ban abortion later in pregnancy, to ban it after 22 weeks, had no exceptions for the health of the mother, for rape, for incest, or for families who get a fetal diagnosis like Tay-Sachs or some other problems. Right. And you were adamantly opposed. Did you uh, work with that campaign? And do you think it was a great victory or easy to defeat in a pro-abortion state like Colorado? Well, I was on as a comms consultant, as one of the people on the campaign, also in my capacity working with Cobalt. I was a bit in-kinded to the campaign. But no, I mean, when this started out, I mean, I think you saw the Nine News poll, there was about four or five points in difference. And it was close at the beginning because it was deceptive and confusing. People were led to believe that this was reasonable, that this was a compromise, that this somehow had exceptions for the health of the mother when it did not. And and once we got the grassroots education campaign going, and frankly, the media played a very large role in that. So thanks for the media for actually helping to, to lay out, you know, what this thing actually did. You know, then you start, you saw folks coming home. But you know, I think these these things are not easy. No, they're not. In retrospect, they are. Are there hard feelings? You go back and forth against the proponents pretty hard on Twitter. Do you have hard feelings? Do you think they do? You know, I think they just need to accept the fact that Coloradans don't agree with them. And regardless of their individual feelings on the issue, this is not something that Coloradans believe government has a role in deciding. I mean, if, if you get a fetal diagnosis later in pregnancy, whether you decide to terminate, whether or not you decide to carry the pregnancy to term, that should be left up to you. And that's a personal decision. Well, you are preaching to the choir. I think the turning point is when I had you on and I came out on your side on 115. Same with 113 national popular vote. I'm sure you were happy about that. But yeah. Laura Chapin, you spend most of your tweeting time at least a plurality of it, on Cory Gardner. Will you miss him? What will you tweet about now? I don't know. I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a void of 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 things to be mad about. I you know, it's 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 gonna, you know, potentially could be a little lonesome. But do you uh, have a cardboard Cory in your dwelling? Uh, I do not. I at one point had a cardboard Kaufman back before different Kaufman. strokes for different folks. Whatever turns you on, girl. Yeah. Well, but I, you know, I said this, the problem for Cory Gardner is the state changed and he did not. The Colorado that exists in his mind is not the Colorado that exists today. And as a public servant, you are obliged to adapt to that reality. And he just refused. I thought he was a decent person for a long time there. But how can any decent person back Donald Trump when he's really fomenting violence in the wake of this election? We speak on Thursday. I hope it doesn't get worse. But just yeah. given the bold cap statement he put out and the people in Vegas and Arizona and soon all over the country, if that doesn't get tamped down, then why doesn't a guy like Cory Gardner speak up? Why doesn't he give up the ghost and say, you know what, sir, 
I respected the electorate. He gave a pretty good concession speech. And he could be an American hero. What does he have to lose? And again, that's the frustration with Corey. There have been any number of decision points where he could have displayed some courage and spoken up strongly and did not. He, you know, he he didn't do it on the Ukraine shakedown. He didn't do it when the COVID cases were spiking and the House was lying about Dr. Fauci. I mean, there were any number of points where- He didn't do it after Helsinki. And I thought he cared about Putin. I thought he shared John McCain's conviction that Putin is a thug and little Kim is a monster. Yeah, I mean, there, there, you know, the opportunities to stand up for this country and to say, regardless of who's president, our loyalty is is to the nation. You know, those those were those were out there, and he never did that. And it will be a bit interesting if Arizona, if that turns out to be John McCain's ultimate revenge. You know, the revenge of Cindy McCain. Yeah, that's nice. That's what a widow should do. Defend her husband after he's gone. But, Laura, you, first of all, congratulations. You're the first three-time guest. I appreciate that. And I'm wondering if you, as a committed Democrat, you work for Senator Barbara Mikulski. You've had other jobs with big people. Can you look across the aisle? You just did with a dead guy, John McCain. But were there any Republicans who particularly impressed you this election cycle? That's a good question, because right now, I mean, they're also in with Trump. If there are some Republicans who come around and say, you know, we need to we need to remake our party and we need to go back to some agreed upon principles about what's right and good for this country. You know, I think there's some some possibilities. I mean, here in Colorado, can you identify anybody who might lead a post-Trump Republican Party or will there even be a post-Trump Republican Party? Is it the permanent campaign and they'll try to get back in 2024 or it might not go now? I don't know what's going to happen next. That's a very good question. I mean, I think, you know, Cole West took some very principled stands on my Um, show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's very good and very thoughtful. I mean, we disagree on issues, but I think he comes from the right place. We used to have Nancy Spence in the state legislature, and and she was a you know a pro-choice Republican woman. Norma Anderson. I mean, there were some good people in right. the old Republican Party, and you know, I think it might be a time for them to go back to some of their collective memory and say, if we're going to rebuild the Republican brand in this state, we need to do it from a place of let's, you know, let's see where we can agree and and work forward from there. Yeah. Whether, I mean, COVID-19, I mean, surely folks in the Republican Party can get together with the Democrats and say, we have a major public health crisis. Only if Donald Trump is out of the way. Yeah. That's the reality. How damaged is America? My last question, it's a shorter interview because I have so many guests, but I went to bed Tuesday night. I was fraught. I lost weight while I'm sleeping, which is a nice thing when you're anxious because I'd like to lose weight, but not that way. I, I worried that our country was really going in the toilet. But then, thank God, they started counting all the votes. 
But I'm worried about America, that so many people accepted Donald Trump with all his manifest flaws. I I do think if Biden wins, and of course his strength is international diplomacy, and he has a great deal of respect on that front, I think America still has a great reservoir of goodwill around the world. I think, you know, I think that as a nation, people want to think the best of us. And I think if we restore that trust with Biden Harris, I think we can we can at least build back some of what we've lost with Trump. And I, you know, I have faith that I'm I'm enough of an institutionalist. I think if you put good people in office, good things will flow from that. Lord Chapin, thank you very much for giving us some of your time. And I love your passion. Keep it up. Follow her at Laura Chapin on Twitter. You go, girl. Thanks, Greg. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, will you just do this for me? Go to my website at CraigSilvermanShow.com. Scroll down and look at that picture of my pal, Dan Levitt. He's a professional sales trainer and coach with Sandler Training. Now, Sandler has been doing this for many decades with great success. If you are in the sales business, then you need some training. Maybe you have already had it. God bless you. But if you feel like you are falling short, that you could learn some skills that could increase your income, Sandler knows what to do, and my friend Dan Levitt knows as well. Look at his face on my website and tell me if that little smile on his face does not make you want to smile back. I do, and I don't smile all the time. But Dan Levitt is fun to talk to, and he will give you a great deal if you say, Craig sent me. Call Dan Levitt. First look at his picture, smile back, 303-829-2107. For the best possible deal, tell Dan Craig sent me. Thank you. Gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at MB LLC.com. Now back to the Craig Silverman Show. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Back in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, Mario Nicholas. How the heck are you, Mario, on this beautiful Friday? 
you know, it's Friday and it's the second time I've been up because, you know, I was up until 3 a.m. last night, a mountain time, which is roughly when we saw Joe Biden cross over into the lead in Georgia and effectively really put a stamp on that he was going to win the presidency. So I'm I'm terrific today. I am so thrilled you could join us for our Friends of the Show show. And Mario, I know how late you're up because I love your Twitter and <laughs> you have a thing for Phil Mattingly and Cuomo. So is that CNN, MSNBC, Fox? What were you watching or was it everything like me? Well, you know, I, I flip between them, but I, I had really, I really come to like Chris Cuomo and Phil Mattingly and, and I think Kristen Johnson and Don Lemon on CNN, which was what I was watching probably the most. They have more numbers that they put up, but I'm kind of a numbers, you know, a little geeky kind of guy. I like to see more of the numbers and going through that. And it just, it was easier for me to see and read. So I appreciate it. Although I will say last evening when, when President Trump came on, I actually flipped over and, and I don't watch much on Fox, but I watched Fox for their reaction to it right afterward. And it was amazing the difference between the way that Fox was reacting to that and versus um, CNN. The other thing I like about CNN is they actually gave Rick Santorum a pretty prominent spot, a pretty prominent role in talking about this. No one is ever going to confuse Rick Santorum with a liberal. Um, and so they truly had some folks from very differing perspectives. And I think Senator Santorum tried the best that he could to kind of defend the position. But at one point in time, you just absolutely saw him after that, that press conference. And he just said, no, Republicans shouldn't defend this. This is just indefensible. And I, and I think that was it. That, you know, Rick Santorum isn't worried about elections or what he's going to do with the next step. And so I think that was the message that you heard from so many Republicans across the country who wouldn't be in that position who were privately thinking is, you know, this is this is unacceptable. And now, you know, it's likely over. And, and, and you know, he, he's one of the things he said is if, if you've got evidence of any sort of fraud or anything, you know, put up or shut up. And, and if you don't have it, then stop bringing it up. Stop dividing us more. Um, if you don't have it and you can't show it, don't do that. But if you do and you've got real allegations, then, then make them and bring them in court. And I think I think that's one of the reasons why you see so many issues right now across the country that it's. They're, they're making allegations and, they're, you know, it's just a whisper campaign and it's a conspiracy theory campaign. But what it is, it is not a court action. All the court actions they brought across the country have been minor. They've been about one precinct or another, you know, a couple hundred votes here, a couple hundred there. There's been no sort of challenge and, and mass challenge to large numbers of, of votes that would actually swing any state. And, and I think one of the things you're seeing right now is, it looks like Joe Biden's going to win about 306 electoral votes, which which means that there's not going to be no individual state that can swing this election. So even even if Trump could go in and say, hey, look, Clark County did it wrong in Nevada and they had all these issues. And so therefore, we've got these problems in Clark County. And when you look at it and do it right, then it goes to President Trump. Well, that's fine. But he still doesn't win. Right. I mean, he still wouldn't win. So. I think that's one of the big problems that the Trump campaign has right now is they are unlikely to be in a situation where any one state and, and, and potentially any two states could win President Trump the election. It's so good to talk to you, Mario, and you contribute in so many ways to this great outcome. I feel like we dodged a bullet. Donald Trump at second term. I could not even let my mind go there. And my gosh, Tuesday night, I tossed, I turned. What about you? Yeah, you know, 
Tuesday during the day. I mean, I could, I, I just, I was ineffective on doing it. <laughs> some, some other work that I had to get done, things of that nature, because I was thinking about it. I was confident that Trump was going to be repudiated like he was in Colorado. I'm talking about Tuesday night when the betting line started to change, when he was a three to one favorite Donald Trump. My God. That night, yeah. did you sleep on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning? Yeah, I, I think I slept between about 4 and 6 a.m. Um, um, you know, it's just been one long night, effectively. And I will say I will say, I was a little bit more confident, I think, than a lot of other folks and a lot of other people because the way that I looked at this was, you know, people were getting, you know, at least Biden supporters were, were feeling some sort of, oh, my goodness, because – some states that they really thought were going to win, like, you know, Florida, and that would have just delivered a knockout blow in, in the first round, went the wrong way. And President Trump won them. So Florida, and then you saw North Carolina. Right. Ohio, they were saying Ohio. maybe Ohio, but then it right. turned. And for all these idiot conspiracy theorists on the right, my God, look at how they reported Virginia. Apparently they counted some Republican districts first, and Trump had a huge lead in Virginia, and it's like, oh, and then Biden came from behind, not in the slow, you know, Belmont sure. Stakes times five of, of the Biden victory in Pennsylvania, Georgia, et cetera. But I'm so darn proud of you, Mario. Here's what you have done. Let me list it for our audience. One, you write great columns for the Colorado Sun, including one that everybody should pay attention to, you called it, the fact that Pennsylvania and other states were not going to count early the mailed-in ballots was going to inevitably lead to this problem. And you said, follow the Colorado model. But you also, as a lawyer, have donated your time to the Lincoln Project. You've been involved in the various litigations. And is it ongoing? Do you think there really will be court battles or will they whimper away? Let me just throw this out there. I think Donald Trump wants to hold all of us hostage and he wants to work out a global deal because right now he has to worry about his freedom, not just leaving the White House, but there are so many charges that could be brought against him. I'm sensing some plea bargaining and he may think he has leverage but that's dripping away. It's like a lame duck falling out of the sky. Respond to all of that, Mario. So first of all, yes, I have been working with the Lincoln Project for the past several months on an official basis. I've known a lot of the founders for years, so I had kind of talked to them since their founding last December and, and on and off, and I wrote a column about them in January. You know, And, and I, I will tell you right now, we are absolutely looking, and we've been tracking all of these across the country. And there's just so nothing there. It's an absolutely where's the beef moment, <laughs> you know. Um, they make these claims and these allegations out in the, in the PR world. But when they go to court, it's all just little procedural things. Oh, well, you know, they let us in the room, but they didn't let us close enough. And the judge just kind of shrugs and says, okay, let them a little bit closer. But it's not anything that changes votes. Right. What is the remedy they request? They want to be closer. They want to be able to see closer. Okay. If you're not allowed to be closer, then Pennsylvania doesn't get to vote this year? Yeah. I mean, that's 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 kind of, I think, the argument they're trying to get to as well. Since we couldn't see these votes, then you shouldn't count them. And I mean, they're just, just that's just going to go nowhere, especially since they were literally in the room. They just weren't you know, they weren't right up front. And, and I, th I think some of these, some of these counting locations, 
you know, when, when you have people who are outside and carrying long guns and protesting and chanting, you know, I don't blame you for putting stuff up in the windows so that people aren't seeing through or trying to video you or see your face or who you are or the, the workers. I mean, they're under enough pressure as it is. Now, that said, it's not as though they were putting it up in the windows to keep people from watching who were proper to be in the room. Those people were already in the room. So you had Republicans and Democrats who were poll watchers and, and who were, you know, and who were certified to be watching the counting go on. And from what I hear, it's not as though anyone was ever actually denied access. The only claims were, well, we, we couldn't be close enough or you didn't let enough of us in or something of that nature. And so the, this is really these minor claims. And uh, the, the remedy for that is just changing who can go in or see, but it's certainly not going to be throwing out their votes. That said, even when you're making those claims, you're pro- it's probably only affecting, you know, a couple hundred votes. So if Joe Biden wins Pennsylvania by 40 or 50,000, which seems likely at this point, so it's Friday morning we're talking, if he wins by 40 or 50,000, those couple hundred votes don't matter. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, one of the ones that we have tracked from Lincoln Project very, very closely was the lawsuit in Pennsylvania that's already been up to the Supreme Court twice about the three-day extension that basically was issued by judicial fiat by the um, state Supreme Court. And they said, well, you know, so, so the question is, well, can the Supreme Court do that or not? And I think, you know, we've been following that because I think, I think, that's, I think that's legitimately a lawsuit that has legs. I think there's a legitimate argument there and a separation of powers argument. Certainly Neil Gorsuch from Colorado um, is a big separation of powers guy. So, uh, you know, I would you'd have to make an argument to him that, well, this falls within the judicial power. But that brings us back to what is the remedy? What is the relief they're seeking? And to be clear, so everyone and all your listeners understand, all those ballots that came in after the deadline on election day have been segregated. They have been put in a separate spot to be counted separately so that they can always come back and they can, they can remove those votes if they need to. And as it turns out, like even in huge counties like Philadelphia, it's like a couple hundred. <laughs> it's like a few hundred. So again, it's, it's not going to be enough to make a difference in these cases. It, it, it appears what happened was people were so excited to vote, they turned it in so early that there was no chance that it was coming in after the polls. Or they were so worried about it not getting in in time that they made sure to drop it off at a drop box so that it didn't have to worry about USPS. And I think all the concerns about USPS is, you know, overall, there were a couple of hiccups on Election Day. But overall, we didn't see any big, you know, really, really big issues that have really, really cropped up from either side. I, I mean, I should point out, if anyone was going to sue over delays by USPS and, oh, well, we need more time, et cetera, it was going to be the Democratic Party and Joe Biden. You haven't seen them bring a lawsuit, right? That hasn't happened. So. I think people actually should be looking at this this entire election being, holy cow, it is amazing that we had an election during a pandemic and all of these concerns about intimidation and, you know, slow, you know, mail processing and all that. Everyone should take a step back and look at how remarkably smooth this election went, because it did. As long as we did it right, you know, we didn't have big we didn't have we didn't have people roving around intimidating voters. We didn't have a whole lot of lines that just, you know, took 
way, way too long on election day. I mean, there was obviously there were some people who waited in line, you know, 10, 11 hours. That's 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 too long. <laughs> but 15 but, minutes is too long. I mean, Colorado, where you can fill it out at your kitchen table, go to a drop box. Why isn't that replicated everywhere? Well, I think you're going to see a lot of that. I think that's going to be a lot of the reform that people go, that states go through in coming years is why we go through that. And and you referenced, you referenced the column that I wrote about this in September when I said, hey, look, Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, they need to move forward their processing. They need to process these ballots earlier. Why didn't they? Pennsylvania has a Republican legislature. Were they in cahoots with the White House? Did the White House tell them, don't mess with this? We want to run this conspiracy theory when they come from way behind? I think so. I think I think I think it was a part of the broader attack on absentee ballots and it was a part of the broader attack on oh the legitimacy and, and a way to throw this election into some sort of question about the legitimacy of it. That said I think they've been wholly ineffective. I think they've been really, really ineffective. And I will say this in, in my channel surfing that we were talking about before the media and, and, and even even when you're talking about Fox News have all been pretty good about just saying, hey, look, the integrity of the election matters and it looks like the integrity is fine. And they have all been excellent about saying all of the votes that are being counted now in the days following the election were cast on election day or before or or if they were if they were received, the ballots were received later, they were received within the time frames permitted by law by those states. So, I mean, when, when Donald Trump is out there and then Donald Trump Jr. is saying we should count legally cast votes, you know, I shrug my shoulder and say, sure, fine. These were all legally cast. It, because, just because they get counted later does not mean that they got cast in an improper time period. And, and so, I mean, I, I, to me, I'm like, I'm like, you guys, I don't think you know what you're talking about. And, and I mean, I think they purposely are being obtuse. Well, some of them and some are deliberately leading people astray. And I think Fox News has been pretty responsible. Rupert Murdoch is more of a hero than, oh, I don't know, Cory Gardner, who could have spoken out, especially once he lost, but didn't have the courage to do it. But I've gauged everybody's reaction, including Denver Trump radio and it's sickening, the feigned ignorance. Well, why would they delay it? How could somebody come from this far behind? My God, why don't they listen to this podcast? It's plain as day it was predicted, and yet they persist. And we can see Donald Trump's going to try to keep this conspiracy theory going. But I don't think it has legs, you know, might stand tall for a day or two, but it's going to get whittled down and yeah. React to that. You know, doesn't Lauren Boebert now have more power than Donald Trump? He's a lame duck. He's not in office anymore. Uh, I mean, I, I worry about what's going to happen over the next, I guess, I was going to say 78 days, because that was the difference in time from election day to the swearing in day, you know, uh, inauguration day. But actually, <laughs> I guess we're closer to like, what, 75 days now. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what President Trump does while he's still president and still has the presidential power. It could be a dangerous, you know, next right. two and a half months. Right, because the only policy we know of a Lauren Boebert type is that she worships at the shrine of Donald Trump. So I don't know what's going to happen, but already here in midday on a Friday, some senators are speaking up and it's not going to be cool. Some of the things he does, 
And why didn't Cory Gardner speak out? Why doesn't he speak out today? Hey, let's count every vote. Uh, what does he have to lose at this point? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I, I get where Cory is. I mean, he spent his whole adult life, you know, doing this work in public service. And and I think and I think, you know, he's he's done it because that's because Cory Gardner deeply cares about people and about this country. But I mean, I also think, you know, he's always been a good party guy. And that's, that's a part of that's part of what's defined him is who he is. And, and unfortunately, that's that's what kept him from taking votes that I think that maybe he should have taken a vote of, con- you know, of, of conscious on and, and stood up to the party on. And maybe it would maybe it would have helped him. Maybe it would have put him in a situation like Susan Collins, where she was able to credibly go to Maine and say, hey, look, I was in it. I told you I'd be independent. And I was and I stood up um, on a couple of these issues and and the ACA. And you know, I voted against that you know, the ACA repeal. And so, you know, I mean, maybe he could have, I don't know that he could, cause you know, my, my father lived in Maine for a long time and, and Susan Collins is just basically an institution out there and, and she's an institution as an independent. And, and so she has, you know, a quarter century of that reputation behind her. So I don't know if Corey could have replicated that in Colorado. And also Maine just simply is not as blue as Colorado is, but I don't know. And, and I mean, I think, I think if Corey, honestly, I think if Corey was called upon to do something, you know, over the next two months and, and he saw President Trump taking action that was absolutely reprehensible and that the Senate needed to act on, I think he would. I, I think I think the better the better question, though, and the better, more interesting question is what happens if President Trump does something that Mitch McConnell knows is going to hurt Mitch McConnell and his Senate? Because at this point in time, I think Mitch McConnell is going to look at it and say, you know what? You're gone in a couple months, and I hated you anyway. Um, you were only a tool that I could use for as long as you were in power, and you're not going to be any longer. Thanks for helping me with the judges, which was my lifelong ambition. But now I'm out to protect my Senate and my senators. So see you later, Mr. I mean, if I was President Trump, I would be more worried about what Mitch McConnell is going to do when he you know, slides his knife into my kidney from behind. Absolutely. And control of the Senate, apparently it's going to be in the race off in Georgia. So that's going to be fascinating. And if Trump gets too wild, holds a few more wacky press conferences, that could really cost them the Senate because people in Georgia might say, I'm conservative, but I'm not for a Michigan like this guy. And and uh, put that Purdue, I'd like to see Purdue get beat. Wasn't that terrible the way he deliberately mangled his colleague Kamala's name? Yeah, I, I you know, and, and I mean, I think uh, now I've been known to butcher names before. So, I, you know, but you but, don't go Kamala, Mamala. You, you don't make fun of it. You might make an honest mistake, but that wasn't right. what it was. I, I heard racism. I didn't see the whole thing. So I, I guess I guess I was just thinking that he had mispronounced it. Because, no. But if, if he was actually doing something more than that, then yes. yeah, it's wrong. It's wrong. And, you know, I mean, we'll see how it goes in Georgia for him. I think it'll be interesting with Loeffler versus Warnock. You know, I actually, I actually talked to a former governor of Georgia yesterday who was who was just raving about Raphael Warnock and that, that he was just an absolute rock star. And, and Loeffler has so many problems. Yes. I mean, I think it will be interesting. I, I think there's a good chance that, that Warnock wins. And, it, you know, and maybe, maybe Ossoff is on Warnock's tails, you know, a coattails wins based on that against Purdue. Right. A black and a Jew. And just to further condemn David Purdue, he put out a Facebook post where he made Ossoff's nose bigger than it is. 
and he had to take it down. So this guy, to me, is a racist. He did it in front of a Trump rally. And I'm a little torn because I'm independent. The market loved divided government, and it's not a bad outcome, even though I don't like Mitch McConnell. But won't it be the Democrats run wild if they win both seats in Georgia? And I don't know what to root for. At the same time, I want to punish the people who were Trump enablers, like the two senators from Georgia. Well, so I mean, a couple of things. I don't think that the Senate will run wild on just if they have a if they have a bare uh, majority of Democrats. I don't think that they will run wild because there could be a lot of Democrats who are going to have tough races coming up in the future, and they're not going to want to put themselves in that situation. So. Like, for instance, I, I think you would basically be looking at a situation where, where, where you're talking about packing the court. I just I don't I don't see that going anywhere. And I mean, for one thing, I don't think that Joe Biden believes in it. I, I think Correct. I think the only reason Joe Biden never answered those questions. And, and he said because that will, will be what everyone talks about if I answer that one way or the other. I think the only reason he didn't was he, did, he didn't want to make his progressive base. You know, he didn't want to rile them up and get them all pissed off right before the uh, election. But Joe, Joe Biden is an institutionalist, and I don't think he believes in packing the court at all. And, you know, I mean, I think, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that we're, that you're looking at and, and well, are they going to do that? So, you know, I, I think you might, it'll, it'll throw a wrench in things like, you know, uh, we were never going to get Medicare for all. I mean, Joe Biden obviously did not believe in Medicare for all, but I think that he did talk about a public, you know, a public option, which is one of the things that the Colorado actually has some um, experience with, because we have, we, you know, our, healthcare policy and finances looking at the public option and well should we do that or not but you're good mario you've allayed my fears not just my personal fears but for my 401k because what you were saying is the democrats even if they have control of the senate even a hickenlooper will probably be more conservative than most but they probably will mess with the tax situation and raise taxes on the rich right I think that I think they would. I think you would also, if they had it, you would be you would probably be looking at. I mean, I, I think they almost have to reinstitute the individual mandate for healthcare. Just as someone who's done a lot of healthcare work before, the ACA doesn't isn't going to work long term without an individual mandate. So they would have to look at that. You know, they would, like I said, they would look at the public option. I think, but there there would be no Medicare for all. I mean, that, I think that was never on the table with a President Biden anyway. I don't think the Supreme Court packing was on the table. You know, I mean, a Democrat, look, if Democrats are worried about the Supreme Court, they need to do the same thing that Republicans have done for decades now, which is make it their primary reason for voting for certain people, you know, to the U.S. Senate. There's a reason why it was so important to so many people for so long. I mean, remember, judges was the reason so many Republicans held their nose four years ago when voted for Trump. Right. I mean, a lot of them justify that by saying judges. And they were rewarded. They got three Supreme Court judges. So, you know, I, I think I think if Democrats want to do that, they got to realize there's no quick fix. It's a decades long process. And so, you know, they have to prepare themselves to have a Senate majority when Clarence Thomas leaves the court, you know, and, and, and things of that nature. So, I mean, I think that's that's what they have to look at. Uh, otherwise, though, you know, I, just, I guess I'm not too worried about it. I do think I do think, you know, Mitch McConnell um, and Joe Biden have a great relationship. I think there will be a lot of gridlock, but I, I would be I wouldn't be surprised if there's actually more gets done with a Biden and a McConnell than people really think would happen. 
I think they've got a great deal of respect for each other because they worked together for so long. And remember, during the Obama years, when Obama was president, typically McConnell would smack Obama down, but then he'd make he cut a deal with Biden. When Biden would be brought in to cut the deal with McConnell because of their relationship, because they've known each other for so long. Same thing with Israel, where Obama right. talked a lot of tough talk to Israel and Bibi Netanyahu, but Biden was his buddy. He was the good cop to Obama's bad cop. Right. And I, I mean, I think so. I think you've got a lot of that. I think you've got a lot of that at play and that sort of the relationship issue at play. It'll also be kind of a more business as usual kind of environment. It'll be interesting to see what happens with some of the bomb throwers from the right and where they feel and, and bomb throwers from the left for that matter. I think I think the people are going to be the most upset <laughs> if Democrats win control of the Senate, you know, on January 5th. And so they've got the House and the Senate and the presidency. I think the people who are going to be the most pissed off are going to be the far less progressives because they're going to say, we've got all the power, but you guys are doing nothing with it. And honestly, you know, from a conservative's point of view, that might be the best thing that could potentially happen because, you know, an internal war on the left would obviously, you know, lead to the kind of thing that, that Republicans have been dealing with for the past couple of decades. And that's, that's what's lead, led to a lot of the problems that we have here in Colorado are, are these internal wars. And, if Democrats go through that, you know, uh, they could leave themselves susceptible in four years or in eight years or in two years for, for the U.S. Senate or the U.S. House, certainly. So, I mean, I, I think it, it would be interesting because as for the far left progressives, I think, it would be the ones who would be the most upset if there was actually a Democratic Senate to go along with a Democratic House and a Democratic president and they don't get their entire wish list or anything close to it. I will be interested to see what, what a, a Boebert does in, in Congress. And, and, you know, folks like her, whether she gets any sort of power in Congress, I, I think I, I will say I think I think she's the person who, who doesn't who is going to get a lot of power simply through publicity. So, you know, she she could mimic an AOC type trajectory where she doesn't have a lot of seniority and she might not actually get a lot done. And a lot of the stuff that she wants done, almost none of it gets done. But people pay attention to her a lot. Right. That assumes that hearings aren't on Zoom and she can get back and forth to D.C. a lot. Hopefully we will have normal times. I want to end by talking to you about two famous names. Whenever I think of Mario Nicholas, I think about a guy who pronounces his name the same way, but spells it differently. Jack Nicholas, who endorsed Donald Trump, probably had an impact down in Florida, but had an impact on me. I like the guy. And now I'm wondering what I do with that. I'm not asking you about Jack Nicholas, but people like that. People who just were still on Trump's side, they disappointed you. I think, and, and this is one of the things I think is nice about a Joe Biden is it's time to unite and heal. And it's time to see what we can do about setting those things aside. Look, President Trump is going to wind up with coming close to 70 million votes on as many, about 4 million less than, uh, than Joe Biden. But, you know, a lot, you know, half of this country or at least half this country that voted is going to have voted for Donald Trump. And they're not all bad people. <laughs> they are not mostly bad people. Um, I think they are mostly good, good people and they are mostly neighbors and mostly friends. And I mean, I think you can have that. Well, I truly didn't support where you were. And I, you know, and, 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 cause, and I think a lot of them don't support Trump and a lot of the things that he does or says, but there are some that are really important to them. I mean, you know, they might they may might be one issue voters. And so they said, look, I'll hold hold my nose 
and vote for this guy because of this issue that I like. And, and so I think kind of separating that out, I think holding on to that long term is not is not good for anybody on either side. What if they hold on long term to Trumpism, including that he's oh. getting cheated out of the White House? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I've, I've been in that situation with people close to me who were who were ardent about that sort of thing. And I just I said, you know, ground rules. I just say, hey, look, if we're going to maintain this, you know, this relationship, then maybe we're just not going to talk about this anymore. You know, and, and you know, we, we, you and I should not discuss this issue anymore. That, that's been about the only thing that works for me because a lot of times they, you know, they, they're trying to, it's not so much trying to convince you as vent their anger and their rage. And I will say this, Donald Trump losing is going to be more devastating for the Republican party than just the fact that he's not in power. I think, and, and, and I'm calling it right now, Craig, I think the Republican candidate in 2024 is going to be Donald Trump. <laughs> and I think he's going to try to run again and take it back. And I think he's going to dominate the Republican Party for the next four years, at least. He'll probably try to have his own you know, media channel, Trump TV, something of that nature. He'll constantly be tweeting. You know, he'll constantly be out there you know, moving people. And, and I, think, I think one of the things you know, that the Republican Party has done to itself for the last four years is you know they have this sort of, this sort of Stockholm syndrome with Donald Trump, <laughs> and and a lot of a lot of the a lot of the folks who might maybe were more rational and more reasonable and didn't really like Trump but went along with it because he was the party standard for now and they think they're going to rebuild the party afterward. I think they got another thing coming. I I, I think I think they're going to find that that even when he's out of power, he's still in power in the Republican Party. That'll be interesting and and that'll that'll probably to your point about people in our lives, that could continue to strain those sorts of relationships. An important person in your life, a famous name, you worked with him. I'm sure you respected and admired him at one point in his life, Rudy Giuliani. Now he's going around the country bringing this weak stuff, just like he did against Hunter Biden. Talk about Rudy and have you seen Borat? <laughs> I have not seen Borat yet. I know what you're talking about. Oh my God! I, it, it's it's comedy gold. It, it's it's comedy gold. Comedy genius. You have to watch Borat first. Tell everybody your relationship with Rudy, and then explain how he's arrived at where he is now. Sure. Well, first of all, I almost dropped out of college in 2000 to go work for his then Senate campaign against Hillary Clinton, and. It was a good thing I didn't. I was pretty close to making that call. And then he dropped out because he had a cancer diagnosis that he had to deal with. So I was, I continued my education. Fast forward to, you know, the beginning of 2007, I had just finished my law degree in the winter of 2006. So I finished about a semester early and I applied to go work for him in New York on his presidential campaign. And I was actually one of his senior research analysts in New York, in New York. So in the headquarters on that campaign, and and I did I, I I and I've written about this before. You know I I thought I thought he was a great guy and could be a great president. I thought you know I respected his law and order views. I thought that he also had kind of a social moderation that to me and that I thought would be best long term for the Republican Party. You know he didn't have virulently anti LGBT views. In fact, he was pro equality in, in in a lot of ways. Um, and so I thought I thought. You know, he was he was someone who I looked up to in a lot. I think what's happened to him since that election is that, you know, he's he's seen him his own 
self-image slipping away that he's no longer oh you know america's mayor and oh he's not on the spotlight so he's been chasing it and he's been chasing the spotlight since then and being donald trump's lawyer was a good way for him to get that spotlight back and to to grab it and it, and it didn't matter what dignity it cost him and it didn't matter what you know pieces of his soul shattered into different you know shards just like lord voldemort it didn't matter to him as long as he got that in fact I wrote uh, I wrote a column that I just kind of wrote for me, and it's it's on my website that that compared him to Jake LaMotta, the great boxer that you know Robert De Niro played in Raging Bull, the guy who had was a top of the world and was a world champion, but you know later in life you know just just got punched drunk and was you know had all these other struggles and was always searching for the spotlight again, and it's and it just became this real tragedy. His entire life became this tragedy. And I think that's what happened to Rudy Giuliani. It's his, his life has become a tragedy and has become a, you know, and has become a joke. And the fact is, he's likely been a Russian asset, probably unknowingly. I mean, I, I think unknowingly. If not, he should be tried for treason. Um, if he knew that he was using foreign intelligence and kind of trying to pass it on to Americans. Uh, and I, I think it's just tragic. But, I mean, people change. And you learn more about them. And, and you learn, you know, they're... they're the things that they want in life drive them to do things that you wouldn't think they normally would do. And I, I feel like that's what happened to Rudy Giuliani. It's truly, truly unfortunate. Wow. Great words of wisdom from you, Mario. Give out your website so people can check out sure. that column. Sure. Um, it's just Mario Nicholas, M-A-R-I-O-N-I-C-O-L-A-I-S.com. I can't thank you enough for returning to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. This is wonderful to get your instant analysis of such a historic event. You bring so much knowledge and perspective to it. Thanks for being a friend of the show. Always, Craig, anytime. All right, take care. Thanks, Martin. This is the Craig Silverman Show, and I'm Craig. Our democracy is at stake. It's never been more important to let your voice be heard. Join the conversation and fight for our democracy. It is our duty and our constitutional right. Follow The Craig Silverman Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at C. Silverman Show. Be a part of the change. Now, back to The Craig Silverman Show. Gosh, I love this show. I love this week because it had a happy ending. I was pretty worried for a while there. Next week, we have Alex Kershaw. New York Times author who wrote The Liberator about Colorado hero Felix Sparks. It debuts on Netflix this Veterans Day. Alex Kershaw, my guest, this coming Saturday, along with Victor Mitchell, who will size up the next race for Colorado governor and what's happening with Biden v. Trump. Thanks to my guests today, Laura Chapin, Samantha Cook, Amy Patton, Mario Nicholas, Marty Coniglio, and my troubadour, Dave Gunders. I sure do appreciate my sponsors and especially my audience. Join me next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.